0: Well, Pastor Greg is spending a few weeks looking at John chapter 17 and Jesus' prayer there, so we thought it'd be good to have an evening service that was also focused on prayer. And since believers have so often used the Psalms as guide, guides for their prayers, we thought a, ser- a sermon series on the Psalms would be appropriate. So I'm going to preach a couple different types of Psalms over the next few weeks. Tonight I'm preaching on a Psalm of Thanksgiving which, as you might guess, is basically the psalmist coming to God and saying, God, thank you for this thing that you've done in my life. The next couple weeks, I'll be preaching on psalms of lament, which is where the psalmist comes to God and says, God, help me with this thing that's going on in my life. So the three psalms that I'll be preaching on all have some clear link to a specific circumstance in the life of King David. The psalms can speak to all of us in all of our life circumstances, but I wanted us to look at Psalms that we could dig a little bit into the historical background and get that extra dimension and sense of what the Psalms are talking about. So tonight I'm going to focus on giving thanks for God's work in the midst of a broken world. And we'll do that by looking first at a story from 1 Samuel and then going to Psalm 34. Now, Psalm 34 has the introduction of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away. And he left. Not a particularly high point in David's life. David, at the point that we're going to read in 1 Samuel, is fleeing from King Saul after the king came wrongfully to believe that David was going after his throne. So first David fled for sanctuary to some priests in a town called Nob. He got some food there and also a weapon, Goliath's sword actually, And then with that sword and that food, he continued to run away from King Saul, and he went to the town of Gath. And we'll pick up the story at that point by reading 1 Samuel 21, verses 10 to 15. "'That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, "'Isn't this David, the king of the land?' Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands? David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Akish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the door of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Akish said to his servants, "'Look at the man! He is insane!' Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? So this is the situation David finds himself in. He's been a faithful servant to King Saul, but he's forced to flee his homeland because the king has gone all paranoid and crazy on him. So he's fled out of Saul's territory to the town of Gash, where Achish also called Abimelech, was king. But incidentally, Gath was one of the big Philistine towns, and so not necessarily the best place for a famous Israelite to go. And also incidentally, Gath was Goliath's hometown. So when David flees to Gath, he's an Israelite running to the town of his sworn enemies, and he's also a military hero who just happens to be carrying Goliath's sword who just happens to be a Gath hometown boy who David killed in a battle just a little bit before this. So basically, David is taking the hometown boy's sword and going back to one of the Philistine capitals. Not the brightest military political move ever on David's part. You could say that David was being a bit stupid at this point, as some commentators do, or you can just see this as evidence of his desperation, his sense of needing to flee and just not knowing where else to go and david's troubles keep getting worse and worse david isn't actually the king of the land like the philistines call him in these verses but he's a hero and the philistines recognize him as a mighty man and an enemy this is the guy who killed goliath this is the man rumored to kill tens of thousands and now he's in their town and he's in their power So after being in Gath for just a little while, David realizes that he's going to need to flee this place that he's run to for safety. But in the meantime, he's stuck. So he ends up acting like a madman, scratching marks on the door of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Things have gotten so bad for David that he has to act like a lunatic in order to avoid being killed by strangers in a place he's had to run to because the man he served so faithfully has turned on him. Now, when we read this, David acting like a lunatic sounds like just a clever way to get out of some trouble, and we get past it in a sentence or two. But imagine what it would be like to actually be in that situation. I worked for a summer in seminary at a homeless shelter in downtown Grand Rapids, and we had some people in the population we served who had genuine, significant mental health issues. So they'd be walking around the street in broad daylight having these loud, one-sided conversations with the voices in their heads. They had a hard time keeping track of who they were and where they were and what they were doing. Often you couldn't even have a conversation with them because they were just off in some other world. And usually that went with some real mental health issues and often some different addictive behaviors. And you just never knew what was going to be next for these people. And they really didn't know what was going to be next for themselves either. And often they seem beyond help. But imagine being so desperate for an escape route, so just scared that you would decide that your only strategy was to become like one of those people. Imagine being so scared of something that you'd make an, you'd make an escape plan involving walking around drooling and doing public graffiti on the town gates. What kind of desperation would it take to reduce you to that point? What kind of hopelessness and resourcelessness and despair would reduce us to the point of acting like how David found himself having to act in 1 Samuel? That's the valley that David was going through. Now, verses 14 and 15 tell us that David's plan worked, and the king of Gath told his servants, Look at this guy. He is crazy. Why are you bothering me with him? Do you think we don't have enough of our own madmen that you have to start importing them? Now, some commentators think that the king had seen through David's act, but he kind of liked David, so he was just playing along. And others think David's act was so convincing that the king even was fooled and thought that David was off his rocker. And either way, 1 Samuel 22, right after the verses that we read, tell us that David left Gath and he escaped. So however it worked, his plan worked, and he got out of danger. Psalm 56 is actually a lament that David wrote in the midst of those troubles. It's David's call for help when he was acting like a madman. But tonight we're focusing on Psalm 34, which the Bible tells us is the psalm that David wrote, giving thanks for his escape from Gath. This psalm of thanksgiving is a heartfelt psalm. But it's not one that came out of pleasant life circumstances. It came out of an experience of being delivered from terrible fear and real danger and heart-rending indignity. This is heartfelt praise from a person who has seen real trouble and has been delivered by God's hand. So with that background, let's walk through Psalm 34 together. Now, the psalm is divided or divides easily into three parts, and this evening I'm going to read and talk about each of those three parts separately. So I'll read a few verses, talk about them a bit, read a few more verses, talk about them a bit, and then read the concluding verses and talk about those. I'll start with Psalm 34, verses 1 to 7. I will extol the Lord at all times, his praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Now this psalm begins with a commitment to praise the Lord and that's a good place for prayer and for all of our Christian devotion to begin. But we can read this psalm as just a sort of promise of performance or commitment to perform as if David is coming before God and he's committing himself to praising God almost as a bargaining chip or as some sort of payment plan as if David was standing in front of God and declaring, God, you can depend on me to keep praising you. But that's not really the point here. David isn't really making what you would call a promise to perform in praise. What he's doing, well, we could call it maybe remarking on a relationship or renewing a relationship or maybe committing to a covenant. To put it another way, David isn't coming before God with a drum roll saying, Here I am. Look at what I'm going to do for you. Instead, David is coming before the Lord who has already delivered him. And David is responding to that deliverance with a promise of praise. God has acted first and has delivered David. And based on God's covenant faithfulness and his mighty acts, David is responding with thanksgiving. Now whenever we come to God, that's how we come. We never, ever make the first move. God has always acted first on our behalf. God has initiated a relationship with us. In Jesus, God has delivered us from eternal trouble and present hopelessness, and it's appropriate that we respond by committing to keep always praising and glorifying our great Deliverer and Lord. And then after David has committed to praise in verses 1 to 3, he goes on in verses 4 to 7, and he praises the Lord for hearing his request and delivering him from a specific trouble. This poor man called, says David, And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Now, if we read this section of Psalm 34 against the background of 1 Samuel, we see a concrete example of God delivering David from a hopeless situation. 1 Samuel 21 doesn't explicitly tell us that God was at work getting David out of Gath. The historical narrative in 1 Samuel 21 just tells us That David was in danger, David acted like a madman, and David escaped. But Psalm 34 shows us this incident through eyes of faith, and David's eyes of faith saw God's gracious activity shot through that chain of circumstances that ended with David's deliverance. And that brings us to verses 8 to 14 in Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. After David has praised God for a specific act of deliverance, he calls the whole community of faith to come together and to taste and see that the Lord is good. Most of the time, if we read a psalm of thanksgiving, there would at this point be a call for the whole community to join the individual in praising God. But Psalm 34 goes a little different direction. Instead of saying, everybody praise the Lord... Psalm 34 calls all the saints together to come and live faithfully with the Lord, to taste and see that the Lord is good, to fear the Lord, to trust in God, and to keep following Him. David uses his own experience of deliverance as a springboard to tell the whole community of faith that the wise, the good, the best thing to do is to follow the Lord, because those who fear the Lord lack nothing even the mighty lions the king of the beasts can grow weak and hungry but God takes care of his people all the time even when they feel weak and hopeless and picked on and hunted down Psalm 34 tells us that God has once again proved faithful and that he will continue to prove faithful to those who follow him This story of God's faithfulness to one of his people is an encouragement to all of us his people that God will care for us. The stories of deliverance that we read in the Bible, the stories of deliverance and of new hope that we hear from others in our community and our own stories of God's grace all come together to shape our lives and to lead us to continued faithfulness to our faithful Lord. These stories invite us to taste and see that the Lord is good and to follow his ways and to trust that just as he has always provided for his people so he will continue to provide for his people. And that brings us to verses 15 to 22 of Psalm 34. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. So after that interlude in verses 8 to 14 of calling the people to follow God, Psalm 34 ends with the assurance that God hears and God responds to the prayers of the righteous. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them Delivers him from them all. These verses remind us that God is always, ultimately, faithful. And living in this broken world, we need continual reminders. We need assurance. God is always at work, but it's not always in the way that we expect, that we like, or that we would choose for ourselves. God's plans don't always exactly match with our plans or our desires. God is working on a long, long term plan and we only see bits and pieces of it and sometimes it's hard for us to see how all of these bits fit together with our faith in God. It's hard to see how all the suffering and trouble we experience makes sense. The world is a dark and dreary place and so we need these reminders that God does hear our prayer and does deliver us. As we'll see over the next couple weeks, David's troubles didn't end once he got out of Gath. Things got a bit better for him for a while, but then they got worse again. But still, David's deliverance from Gath laid the foundation for him to declare that God hears the prayers of the righteous and delivers the righteous from their trouble. Our commentators argue over whether David was stupid to go to Gath in the first place And they argue over whether David got away because of his madman act or because somehow the king of Gath was favorably disposed toward him. There are some things in that little story that we just don't quite know what's going on with. But one thing that we can be sure about and that we see in Psalm 34, David recognized that it was God who got him out of Gath. Granted, David had some terrible experiences along the way, but still... He got away from his mortal enemies. He escaped from the hometown of Goliath, carrying Goliath's own sword the whole time. This is just barely short of miraculous, and David certainly saw it that way. He recognized that he didn't didn't escape because of his own devious little plan. No, it wasn't David. It was God's work. It was God who got David to safety. And so in Psalm 34, David gives thanks to the God who delivered him. David is able to praise God and to thank God for that deliverance because he looked at what had happened through eyes of faith. And similarly, in our own lives, we don't necessarily have it written out for us that God acted in such and such a way and so such and such a thing happened. Often our lives are like that story in 1 Samuel where you can look at them and this thing happened and then the next thing happened and the next thing happened and then the next thing happened. And we need our eyes opened by faith to see how God is working to deliver and to save us both now and eternally. The good things that happen in our lives aren't just chance, they aren't just coincidence, they aren't just good luck or because of our own efforts. God continues to deliver us in a multitude of ways. And of course, the clearest and the best way that we see that is in God sending Jesus to save us and in God continuing to apply that eternal salvation to us and in God continuing to work in us to save us from our sin. When we give thanks to God for deliverance, we have all kinds of things in our own lives that we can give thanks for, but we can always start by giving thanks for Jesus coming For Jesus saving us from our sins. When we were in desperate circumstances, far away from God, Jesus came and he took on all our burdens and all our sins. David saved himself, so to speak, by suffering, by going through terrible circumstances, by losing all of his dignity, and by eventually running away. But Jesus suffered so much more to save us from our terrible circumstances. Jesus, the Son of God, the Prince and the King of the universe, came and he suffered terribly. He was brought outside the city gates and he was executed in a way that brought terrible shame and suffering and indignity. Psalm 34 points us back to David who suffered for his own salvation and escape, but it also points us forward toward Christ's costly, painful work of delivering us forever from all our suffering and death. And so Psalm 34 gives us this model for praising God, for delivering us from trouble, for encouraging each other in faithful living, and for being assured that God does hear and respond to the prayers of his people. Now this psalm isn't a model or method for the one right way to give thanks to God, but it's a guide and a help. These psalms can show us, can show us God's people how to talk to him, And it can help to form our own conversation with God. We can commit ourselves to praise. We we can thank God for the acts of deliverance in our lives. We can remember a call to Christian faithful living. And we can be always assured that God hears the prayers of his people and that he responds to them. Ultimately, this psalm of thanksgiving moves us from a focus on ourselves to a focus on God. And giving thanks to God helps us to appreciate what he's done in our lives, and most of all, what he has done for us in Jesus. And of course, Christ's work on our behalf is always something worth giving thanks for.